0: Hello and welcome to Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we have been interviewing politicians, activists, advocates, and others since 2016 with the intention of ennobling public service, creating a platform for positive civil discourse, and facilitating dialogue with difference. This show is the antidote for those who are tired of hearing about what's going wrong with the world. We showcase people just like you who are working to leave the world better than they found it. And that's good news. Good news. And now a word from former President John F. Kennedy with his views on public service. Ask not
1: what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country.
0: I'll remind you that this show is made possible by viewers like you. If you appreciate what we're doing here at Public Interest Podcast and enjoy this episode, please contribute $1 at publicinterestpodcast.com. And to express our gratitude, we offer a few freebies to our supporters. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Today's show is brought to you by Warby Parker. They're an online eyeglasses company that for $95 provides you prescription lenses and frames, which is basically a third to a fourth the cost of getting eyeglasses uh, traditionally through your uh, optometrist. I know that I have terrible vision and uh, I'm always needing Uh, to pay a few hundred dollars when I get a new pair of eyeglasses. So that's the thing I like about Warby Parker is it's basically the same quality you'd otherwise get, but it's for a fraction of the cost. So if you go to warbyparkertrial.com slash public interest using that uh, URL at the very end, uh, referencing this podcast, uh, you'll get a special free five-day trial try-on. With five pairs, five days, 100% free. They ship it out for free, and you can return them all for free. So again, that's com slash public interest. Uh, enjoy.
2: We're here today with Dr. Zeev Kane, pediatric anesthesiologist, chancellor's professor and director of the Center on Stress and Health at the University of California, Irvine, and former chief medical officer at the University of California, Irvine. Dr. Kane, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing?
1: Good, good.
2: It's my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. So the first question I'd like to pose to you is what are you currently doing or what have you ever done to advance the public interest and
1: why? That's a very open question, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I guess that's it. Um, I, in the area of pediatric pain or prevent pain in children and I've been doing it for the past 25 years Uh, and that's one element of of my doing the second element is really around the area of um, value based care um, and how to make sure that we're providing the best possible care to our patients um, within the context of the surgical system
2: Hmm. so you got involved let's talk first about uh, prevent ameliorating pain in children. Can you speak uh, about the evolution of your interest, and in particularly in, in ameliorating pain in kids? I know a lot of individuals, though that's a laudable goal, a lot of individuals in med school may find it difficult to see uh, patients, especially pediatric patients, dying and writhing in pain. It's a probably psychologically and emotionally very difficult job to have. How is it that you first became interested in reducing pain in pediatric
1: patients? Well, my training uh, was first in pediatrics, and I remember many nights while I was on call in a a small treatment room um, with kids who were crying, and we were um, doing various procedures with them to help them. So that that kind of never went out of my system. Um, And then I I trained additionally at Yale uh, in anesthesiology, and then I went to Harvard for pediatric anesthesia. And then really I got interested in the in the behavioral and pain aspects of children undergoing surgery. Um, why? Because it was very close to my heart and because at that time very few people did it. But that um when I started my training which was about eighty nine uh or ninety one in pediatric anesthesia, I don't even have pain, believe it or not. Um, they, the idea was that neonates don't actually develop sensors uh, or receptors for pain until later. Both of anesthesia was done with just agents without pain management.
2: So you're uh, saying that, that neo—you saying that previously there was a misconception that neonatal uh, and very young infants do not feel pain, or you're saying that
1: that 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 is actually true? It is absolutely not true. Right. Um, it was a, it was a concept that was promoted for about a hundred years. It has been since then shown to be entirely false through multiple studies, uh, including functional and MRI. And if anything, neonates are feeling more pain. And since there is uh, what's called brain plasticity still in those kids the episodes of early pain, early childhood pain, actually affect the structure of their brain and their neurobehavioral um, development.
2: Can you speak a little bit about that more? How does uh, experiencing severe pain as a very young child affect uh, neural development? What are the impacts of that that physiological change uh in actually in an adult who who experienced uh severe pain as a neonatal uh patient
1: and there are a number of of mechanisms um it, the first is a, a really a psychological mechanism and uh i want i want to uh all of us to think about the time that we have surgery as kids and maybe or maybe not you had your tonsils out it's kind of a memory that It never goes away. Um, And if you, as a child, were exposed to significant pain, you really develop this phobia of physicians and of needles and, quite honestly, never want to do anything with them again. And then later on, you are really shying away from any medical treatments. And when you undergo surgery, for example, you then will develop um, more acute maladaptive Changes. And what I mean by the word maladaptive is, after surgery, kids can develop nuances, strangers and anxiety, um, new answer, regression in milestones such as uh, urine, uh, such as bedwetting and so on, and all that is then being carried into adulthood and uh, to fears from the various system or medical systems. Which is obviously not good, uh, because then basically they are, are avoiding preventive care, um, and avoiding interacting with the medical system. So your job as a pediatric anesthesiologist
2: is to make sure that when kids do undergo medical treatment and surgery, they're not going to feel the pain. Is that correct?
1: That is absolutely one of my jobs.
2: And you're also involved with providing Uh, ushering in a transition at UV Irvine from fee-for-service reimbursement models to a value-based care model, uh, which uh, became increasingly prevalent under the auspices of accountable care organizations through the Affordable Care Act. Can you speak about the transition to value-based care, how that impacts the delivery of care in the practice of pediatric anesthesiology at UC Irvine? uh and uh how that's
1: impacting patients um well a, a few a few points here uh number one it's very important to understand that value value based care is actually not part of the, the accountable care act um it it is it was um passed by by bipartisan support that really had nothing to do with the a c a Uh, The concept of value-based care was developed uh, about 10 years ago and um, since was really adopted mostly by employers and by insurance companies. And the concept is very simple. Value, which is defined as value to the patient, no one else, equals outcomes divided by cost. Um, And that's how Michael Porter devised it. So you can immediately look at that equation and say that the only way we can provide better care is either by improving the outcome or by reducing the cost, as long as that reduction in cost will move to the patient side. Now, the government has been kind of warm and and cold about this topic. Um, And uh, as you may know, uh, former Secretary Price, just before he stepped down, has actually eliminated some of the value-based care system for, from the government perspective. But that is neither here nor there uh, because uh, insurance companies such as Humana um, and Blue Cross and employers such as Walgreens are all in – or I should say Wal, um, um, sorry, Walgreens are all in in value-based care right now. Um, how does it affect the delivery of care? Well. My opinion that it's a positive, uh, it's a positive impact, um, and it's a positive impact because we are now starting to look at what's the value to patient in things that we do, and that connects very well to patient-centered care, right? So when we look at outcomes, it's now outcomes that matter to the patient, not outcomes that matters to the physician or to the system.
2: So when we're let's make this a little bit more concrete of a discussion. So within uh, within UC Irvine, uh, you're, uh, there are physicians providing care to pediatric patients. Let's just talk about pediatric anesthesiology. So, in, if we take pediatric anesthesiology as a as a case study, how has the transition to value-based care impacted the practice of pediatric anesthesiology at UC Irvine?
1: Val. Okay, value-based care is really a a model that is much more appropriate for an adult population. Mm -hmm. Um, On the pediatric population, the the use of value-based care is is significantly lower as compared to the adult population. Um, So, Why is that? Because the adult treatments are significantly more expensive um, and the patients are much sicker. And so I will give you, a, you want a concrete example. This is the example we should deal with. A patient who undergoes hip replacement, in the past, the focus was on what's the flexion and extension of their, of their knees. Now the focus is moving to what do they want to do after surgery. And if they want to go off after surgery, then that should be the outcome and the value for the patient. And if they can't go off after surgery and that's what they wanted, that's not a good outcome, regardless of what the flexion and the extension is. That's value based care. That mm-hmm. is patient centric care. So it's patient centered care. So
2: would you distinguish between value based care and patient centered care?
1: Patient centered care is really a catch all. It's basically saying, hey, let's focus on the patient and put the patient in the center. It's not an economic model. It's not an operational model. Value-based care is is an economic, operational, um, and financial, I'm sorry, and a clinical model. And so remember we talked value equals outcome divided by cost. And so value, we set value to the patient. And that's the connection to patient-centered care in in that model. Is it
2: possible to have value-based care with a fee-for-service model, or is value-based care more reflective of a global payment type system?
1: You can have it with a fee-for-service. There is no question about it. It is much more difficult to achieve because the various stakeholders are not aligned. And, mm-hmm. and what do I mean by that? Um, if, for example, the hospital does not have a fixed payment per patient, then the hospital has no incentive to make sure that the patient is not getting readmitted within 30 days to the hospital. And in case uh, the audience doesn't know, 20% of all the patients return to the hospital within 30 days. And in the old system, the hospitals actually made money of these coming back to the hospitals, because it's starting again a whole new billing to the government. Um, right, so you're trying
2: to reduce uh, 30-day readmissions or unplanned 30-day readmissions uh, to the hospital through value-based care, with, and, and uh, you're trying to remove the financial incentive to the hospital uh, that the people service provides that rewards the hospital for those new admissions. Uh, can you speak about how uh, this transition to value-based care has been um implemented
0: in your hospital
1: well I'd rather talk about the, the larger uh, the larger University of California system and I, I think that um, all the California hospitals right now are in a transition to to value-based care um, it's not on if they are part of what's, of what's called the CGR initiative which basically is a bundle payment for hip and hips and knees Um, Those hospitals and all the California hospitals are part of it. The UC system is part of it. Those are absolutely moving into value-based care. One of the challenges is that right now only about 17% of all the payments are in. So with all the talk about moving from volume to value, we are in a process. It's not a switch. And it will take a few years until we will actually switch. So suppose um, that uh, one
2: of our listeners uh, to this episode is currently undergoing hip surgery, and uh, they would like to uh, return to golfing and swimming from in the local pool uh, after their surgery. At what point do they make their goals known to their provider, And how do they go about ensuring that they are receiving value-based care? Or is this totally out of the power of the patient?
1: Oh, I think everything should be in the power of the patient. Um, The discussion with the surgeon should start with the minute there is a decision to have surgery done or not. Um, A hip surgery or knee surgery, most of the time, most of the time, are elective surgeries. And so uh, to do surgery on someone without having them the results that they want, it should not be done. It was done too many times in the past. Um, and so that should be the aim of the patient. Uh, right off the beginning, they need to tell it to the surgeon. They need to tell it to the anesthesiologist. They need to tell it to the nurses. And they need to work with the surgeon on getting, getting um Getting that done. There should be a plan for it. There should be prehabilitation of physical therapy before. There should be post-habilitation after. All these things have to be done with keeping the goal in mind. Right. So,
2: so your advice to listeners is: if you're about to undergo uh, some serious medical procedure, what you should do is you should articulate your goal to every medical provider who comes past your bed.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And if the surgeon tells you ahead of time, no, I don't know if we can achieve it, then you as an educated consumer should think if you do or you do not want the surgery. Uh, I, I just know too many patients who underwent surgery with the perception that this will be the outcome, and then the outcome is something else. And then they have, you know, they underwent through the misery and, and the expensive payment um, without getting where they wanted to go. How is One
2: thing that you specialize in as a physician is treatment of pain. Can you speak about how the treatment of pain in general is being impacted by the transition to value-based care? For example, are we seeing a greater shift to palliative care and hospice care at the end of life, as opposed to uh, expensive procedures uh, that would have previously been incentivized under a fee-for-service system?
1: It's a complex question. I I believe that we need to do always what's right for the patient. Let's just start from there. Um, Now, is it um, humane to have patients die in uh, cold room hospitals with all kinds of lines in them when they have, when they undergo, uh, when they have a chronic disease and the outcome is very clear? Probably not. Probably not, and that's uh, and we're moving away from it. And so I think that the humane thing is to have to let people die in their homes among their loved ones or in uh, in palliative care facilities where they're just phenomenal for that. So, so at
2: UC Irvine, are you seeing fewer patients, let's say in 2016, last year, did fewer patients die in the hospital in 2016 and, then, say, a few years ago, let's say 2012, because more patients were choosing to die at home? Uh,
1: you know, I <laughs> I don't have the statistics in front of me, so let me just talk in generality if you don't mind. Sure. There is no question that there is a trend in our country to uh-huh. have people die at home and in palliative care facilities. I understand that some people want to say that it's all about the money. And, yes, it is true that hospitals are much more expensive. I think that it is absolutely the right thing to do, unrelated to the money. Um, Mm -hmm. And we just have to think about what's the most humane thing for the patient. Excellent.
2: Well, as we approach the end of this episode, a final two-part question for you, Dr. Kame. Would you please uh, speak? to uh, the parents of your patients or previous patients who are able to listen to this episode and speak to them about your motivations on pursuing a career in medicine uh, in being committed to transitioning to value-based care and to being uh, becoming a pediatric anesthesiologist. Speak to your motivations, why you have sought to advance the public interest in this way, and what you hope will be the impact over the long term of your work in the field of medicine.
1: Well, I got into medicine uh, because um, my dad had cancer, and that was the impetus of getting in. Um, I love kids, and I can tell you that to me, um, there is nothing more sad in the world than seeing a child walking alone into the operating room crying. And so that's kind of where what touched quite hard, and that's why I am taking care of kids and took care on the pain of kids. Um, that's what I have done research and for the past thirty years. Um, from a public interest perspective, I believe uh, that, that we really have reduced the number of kids who under who undergo surgery and taken alone into the operating room, screaming and crying and waking up in pain. Um, so that's 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 very very important. Um, I think that on the on the on the larger uh, picture, patients who undergo surgery typically, and we're talking now more adults, touch about 60 people. And the care is very, very broken and very, very segmented. And so with value-based care system around the surgical episode of care, which we call the perioperative surgical home that I have studied and innovated at UC Irvine, that model makes happier patients um, in more effective care, and um, it really decreases the cost. But I really want to emphasize that the impetus here is not the cost. The impetus is the quality of care that the patients are getting in their eyes.
2: And that has been Dr. Zidine, a pediatric anesthesiologist, uh, director of the Center for Stress and Health at UC Irvine, and a former CMO of the same institution, who speaks about patient-centered medical homes, about the Don Berwick Triple Aim, about improving quality outcomes, decreasing costs, about tying those outcomes to a patient-centered uh, goal uh, set by the patient. He speaks about uh, his work reducing the number of children who actually have to even undergo surgery and for those who do, reducing pain for those, for those children. Uh, and essentially, uh, by reducing costs, improving quality, moving care towards uh, a system that is designed to deliver value to patients according to what is valuable to patients. In this way, Dr. Kane seeks to advance the public interest. So, Dr. Kane, I'd like to thank you for joining us today.
1: It's my pleasure, and thank you for having me.
0: Today's show is brought to you by GoDaddy, where you can buy your own website, domain name, or build your own website. Now, I've used GoDaddy myself before for various endeavors and found it useful in building my own website. If you'd like to save 30% off the cost of building your own website, go to trygodaddy.com slash public interest. Again, that's trygodaddy.com slash public interest to save 30% off the cost of buying your own domain name and building your own website at GoDaddy. Enjoy. This has been another episode of Public Interest Podcast with your host, Jordan Cooper, where we interview politicians, activists, advocates, and others who seek to improve the state of the world. I'll remind you to subscribe on publicinterestpodcast.com, iTunes, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And please join the conversation by calling 240-630-0380 or emailing engage at publicinterestpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.